Thanks for listening to the Three Strands podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. What are you afraid of? Here we go. Um, at school, we have a, a school resource officer. I would have saw him. I would invite him today before I just talked about him like this. But he's continually going around trying to scare people all the time. All right, and uh, he's been trying to get me for a while now with no success. But a couple of weeks ago, I had to run outside for a second. I left my door cracked, and when I came back in, he had snuck inside my office, and I walked in, and he scared me half to death. He got me finally, and he, he was laughing. He thought it was the best thing ever. But how many of you have ever uttered the phrase, you scared me half to death? Anybody ever said that? Yeah, well, most of us, okay? But, but I was thinking, uh, what happens when you get scared half to death twice? You ever thought about that? Something to think about if you were alive to think about it. But if you get scared half to death twice, you're probably gone. But, so we're beginning this new series today called What Are You Afraid Of? Where we're going to tackle four areas that many of us are scared half to death. The four areas we're going to cover over the next month are the fear of God, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, and the fear of death. How many of you remember the show? Is probably, I don't know, a decade ago, that show called Fear Factor. Anybody ever watch that back in the day? Yeah, okay. Fear Factor. Um, it was a disgusting show, but it was very interesting. Contestants would compete for like $50,000, remember? But in order to win, they had to overcome some of their worst fears, which many of us have as well. The fear of like heights. They, they would have to like jump from one speeding semi-truck onto another or running across like a balance beam that was suspended 100 feet up in the air. Or they would have to overcome like their fear of insects and eat like a live hissing cockroach. It was disgusting. Or uh, one of mine, they, I saw one time they had to get in like a pit full of snakes. I wouldn't do that. I don't care what the dollar amount was. I'm not doing it. But they did it for the money. Now, most of us can identify with those fears but they aren't very realistic. Many people would say they would let spiders crawl all over them before they face some of the fears that they face every single day in their life. At the height of her popularity, Ann Landers was receiving 10,000 letters a day. She, she was once asked what the most common problem represented in her letters was, and she said, without question, without question, it's fear. One study that was conducted um, with 500 people found that there were 7,000 different fears represented in those 500 people. 7,000 different fears. Now, you and I all have some fears that we face every day, don't we? I mean, that we won't have enough money to pay the bills this month. That the police officer you pass going 20 miles over the speed limit won't uh, turn around with their lights on, right? Or that you'll be late for work. Or that you won't find a parking spot at Walmart, you know. But, but these are little things, even though they do cause us some stress. I heard about a, a hotel that didn't have a 13th floor because evidently people are afraid to stay on the 13th floor. So the, ele or the, the elevator at the hotel went from 12 to 14 and on up. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the 13th floor is still the 13th floor, okay? I don't care what they call it. You can call it 14 if you want. It's still 13, right? But we have these irrational fears. Let, let's see if you've ever heard of or have any of these fears or these phobias. What about acrophobia? That's the fear of heights. Anybody scared of heights? I am. I'll own it. 
That's it. Some of you got the, some of you fear of telling the truth because I know there's more of you that are scared of heights than that. Okay. What about this one? Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. Be honest. Yeah. All right. What about this one? Aerophobia, the fear of flying. How many of you guys won't dare step foot on an airplane? Only one person. We need some truth tellers in this church. I'll tell you what. Yeah. How about this one? Uh, Balenophobia. That's the fear of needles. Are you scared of needles at the doctor? Okay. And then dentophobia, the fear of dentists. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm going to get some people in trouble here. I hope, that, I hope she's not sitting next to you. Pentherophobia, the fear of your mother-in-law. Anybody? If your mother-in-law's here, don't raise your hand even if you're scared, okay? I don't want to get anybody in trouble today. And how about this one? I was reading about phylacrophobia. That's the fear of a receding hairline. I used to have that one until I faced my fear, okay? Anybody else got that one? No, all y'all are full, thick hair. I get it. Rogaine. All right. So we all have these fears that we deal with on a daily basis. And some people are afraid of, like, losing their job or, or maybe losing their marriage or their health. And some are living with the fear of failure. And they wonder if they'll ever make a difference with their one and only life. Or maybe for you, it's the fear of loneliness, wondering if you'll ever have someone to wake up next to you in the morning. Maybe it's the fear of the future, and you're afraid of what might be just around the corner. Well, today we're going to talk about the root of all fears, and that's the fear of God. And listen, if we can get this one right, the fear of God, if we can get this one right, it will eliminate every other fear that you and I have. It will. So as we begin this series, we, we need to understand a few things. We need to understand uh, there are a few different ways that people tend to relate to God. And the first one is this. Some people don't fear or love God. They just don't. These people sort of live their lives with this rebellious, in-your-face kind of attitude where they don't seem to care that they will have to give an account one day for their life before God in heaven. Look at the scriptures in Romans 3.18. It says, they have no fear of God at all. Jeremiah 6, the first part of verse 15 says, are they ashamed of their disgusting actions? N not at all. They don't even know how to blush. Guys, we're reminded of this in our culture, aren't we? Maybe you're reminded of this type of spirit at the halftime show of almost every Super Bowl or secular music award show. Or maybe you think about people who call themselves Christians, but they don't agree with God at all on what he clearly calls sin. God says in the Bible, listen, there is a reason to be afraid of him. Okay, I didn't write this. I just read it. This is the holy word of God. Look at Hebrews 10.31. It says, it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. People who live a fearless life of God are not brave necessarily, but ignorant, ignoring that there is this omnipotent, all-powerful God who will judge both the righteous and the wicked, Ecclesiastes 3, 17 tells us. There was a guy named Bruce Walker who was an NFL lineman for the New England Patriots years ago, and he sustained a stab wound to the chest when he and his friend, listen to this, were playing catch with a steak knife, okay? Okay. That's how he got a wound to the chest. They were playing catch with a steak knife. 
And police said that they came to the scene. They, they saw the injury in which caused Walker to require several stitches, as you can imagine. But they said Bruce Walker didn't provide many details of the incident. I'd, I'd say not, right? What do you say? You know, the police officer walks in and asks what happened. Like, well, me and my buddy, we got bored. And, uh, you know, since we didn't have a baseball bat or a baseball and a glove, you know, lying around, we just thought, hey, there's a steak knife. Let's use that. And so that's what they did. And that's what happened. But listen, that's not brave. That's ignorant, right? That's ignorant. Our fear mechanisms should kick in at certain times. I mean, if we lean over the edge of the Grand Canyon and our hearts don't beat a little bit faster, then we've got a problem. If we're face-to-face -face with a grizzly bear and our palms don't get a little bit sweaty, then we've got something to worry about. If we ride in a car with David Decker and don't get scared half to death twice, then that's a miracle. Okay, for those of you who have ever been in a car with him, you understand. But listen, if we live our lives with no fear of God, with the understanding that there is a possibility, okay, of an eternity in hell separated from God forever, then we should be scared. The second thing is this. Some people do fear God, but they don't love God. They fear him, but they don't love him. You recognize God's authority and that one day there's going to be a day of judgment. And because of this, you're obedient because you're afraid of him. These people know that there are consequences. And so they come to church, not because they want to, but because they feel like they have to. And what drives their faith isn't love, but fear. Several years ago when I was in college, I still remember the date, on December 23rd, I was driving down to Oneida, and I got caught in what used to be called the speed trap. You remember that? Yeah, years ago, um, it used to go from 55 to 35, much further back toward Kentucky than it does now. And uh, needless to say, I got pulled over, and I was given a ticket. And now, listen, I value police officers. My dad was a retired Kentucky State Police detective and trooper. Uh, I'm all for police officers. And I recognize their importance of their, of their authority. And I'm glad that they're out there to help keep us safe. But I'd just as soon not spend a whole lot of time with them pulled over on the side of the road, if you know what I mean. Okay? And that's the way that many people view God. That's it. They recognize his power. They recognize God's authority. And they're glad he's out there policing the universe. But they'd rather not get too close to him. Third one is this. Some people have a healthy fear and an intimate love for God. And guys, this is where we should be. This is where we should be. This is where I want us to spend uh, our time in the next few moments is this one. In Genesis chapter 3 is the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And so far at this point, sin had not yet entered into the world. Life is just perfect. It's, it's the way that God intended it to be. And here in this garden, there's only one rule. That's it. Just one law. That's it. Okay? Sounds wonderful. And we read about it in Genesis 2.17. He was saying you can eat from any tree you want to except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you're sure to die. One rule is all they had. But it carried with it the death penalty. You know, in the Old Testament, and even 
Today, God uses his love to draw us back into obedience. But he also uses the fear of consequences. If there were no penalty for speeding, then nobody would obey the speed limit, right? I mean, some people in my family still don't obey the speed limit, but I'm not going to call them out and embarrass them in front of everybody. But one's name rhymes with weather, and the other one rhymes with race. Okay, and they both drive silver vehicles, but I'm not going to call them out because I don't want to embarrass them. I'm just kidding, one of them's not even here. But uh, if there were no punishment for stealing, people would just take whatever they wanted to all the time, right? Because there are no consequences, we're not held accountable, right? So God has established certain consequences for our disobedience as a way to motivate us to be accountable and obedient to him. And what Adam and Eve learned, as too many of us have learned on a personal level, is this. It's that our sinful desires can outweigh the fear of possible consequences. Look at it in Genesis chapter 3, 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Bad move. Listen, sometimes the fear of God, it doesn't keep us from choosing the instant gratification over the punishment, does it? We've all been there. There are people this week, okay, who will do just that. There are people this week who are not married, but will find out the pregnancy test is positive. There are people this week that they can't, they'll find out they can't control their drinking problem or their gambling problem. And we need to understand that sometimes our worst fears come true when we're not obedient to God. Because he gives us these rules to live by, listen, out of love for us. Out of love. And it says in Hebrews 12, 6 that God disciplines those he what? He loves, right? Just like we do our kids. And so I want to share with you three applications this morning about fear. Three things when you walk out the door, hopefully you'll take these home with you and remember them about fear. And the first one is this. Fear is just a product of guilt. Fear is a product of guilt. Whenever we feel guilt because we know we've offended someone, we're going to be afraid to be around them. Just the way it works. You know, it would be at the height of arrogance. It would be at the height of arrogance to stand before a judge knowing that we're guilty and not have any fear whatsoever, wouldn't it? Fear is an appropriate emotion for Adam and Eve to experience here. And it also is for us as well because God is all-powerful. And God knows everything. And many people sit in church every single week wearing their Sunday best. They, they know the songs by heart. They take communion when they have it. And they put their 10% in the offering box. But they're afraid. They're afraid. Maybe not of God. But maybe it's the person sitting next to them. They're, they're afraid that that person sitting next to them is going to find out who they really are on the inside, that when they're home, they cuss at their spouse. At home, they yell at their kids, and they watch perverted shows on TV and social media, that they cheat at their job, or that their drinking has gotten way out of control, or that their problem with, with pornography just out of control. Listen, God already knows, okay? 
they're afraid that somebody's going to find out, but the deal is he already knows. We're not hiding anything from God. He knows everything that we've ever done. He knows every single thought in our heads. Look at it in Hebrews 4.13. You don't have to take my word for it. It says nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Not the person sitting next to you. It's God. Adam and Eve should be afraid. But here's what they do. What too many of us do when we feel this way. They hide. They hide. You know, that's what most of us do too. Some of us hide from God by rationalizing our sin, don't we? We say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, everybody does that. Or we compare ourselves to people. You know, other people and, and who are much worse than we are, you know. We look at them and they're, wor- they're worse than we are. And so we think, well, I'm not that bad compared to them. Or for some of us, we blame other people. It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. You know, that's what happens in this story. In Genesis 3:12, Adam blames Eve, right? And then in Genesis 3:13, Eve blames the serpent. We do the same thing. We say things like, well, if my parents would have just raised me better, I wouldn't have turned out like this. If my husband would just provide for us better, or he would be more loving or show more affection. If my wife would meet my physical needs, or if she would just be more respectful and grateful and stop complaining all the time. If, if God would just take it easier on me. I mean, I've had a hard life. If my boss wasn't so strict, so hard to work for, just would give me a break. And we hide from God by justifying ourselves and by minimizing our sin. We lower our standards until we no longer feel guilty and we're no longer afraid. For some people, guys, the last place they'd want to be right now is in church. Because the presence of God makes them feel extremely uncomfortable. Do you know that psychologists tell us the number one way that we deal with fear is simply avoidance. We just try to avoid it. But listen, there's always a but. But even here in the middle of their fear and guilt, listen, God's grace reaches out to Adam and Eve. Right here in the middle of their fear and guilt. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're overwhelmed with fear and guilt about your life. I want you to know God will reach out to you with his grace the same way he did way back during Adam and Eve's time. He reaches out to them with his grace. In Genesis 3.15, we have the very first prophecy. Moments after they disobey and, and they sin, we have the first promise of Jesus coming to earth. Talking about Eve's offspring, her seed, some translations say. Referring to Jesus. And we can read in Genesis 3 about some of the earthly consequences that they would face because of their disobedience, right? The man's going to have to work the rest of his life. The woman's going to have pain during childbirth. The serpent's going to crawl on his belly. All of these earthly consequences. But listen, their eternal punishment, that was going to be taken care of on the cross. And God's grace draws them out from hiding behind those trees. You've read the story. And that's what he wants his grace to do for you and I today as well. He wants to draw us out from our hiding. He wants you to stop hiding the real you, the inner you. So can I just ask you this morning, are you ready to stop hiding from God today? 
Are you ready to do that? Just to stop hiding from God, to be free of the guilt and shame you feel that, that some of you, listen, have been carrying around for years, if not decades. Wouldn't you like to be free of that? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, it removed any reason that you and I have to be afraid of God. We don't have any reason to be afraid of him. 1 John 4.18 says this, Such love has no fear, because perfect love does what? Expels all fear. And listen, some of us are here. If we're afraid, if you're still afraid, it says it's for fear of punishment. And this shows what? This shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Some of you in the room have not fully experienced his perfect love. Guys, the reason we're afraid of God is because we know what we deserve and the punishment that should be ours. But, there's always a but, but when Jesus died on the cross... Isaiah says he took the punishment upon himself, and now you and I can stand before God, listen, without being afraid. That's good news. We don't have to be afraid. So when it comes to fearing God, here's what the Scriptures teach us. You ready? Here it is. Fear God, but don't be afraid of Him. Does that make sense? Fear God, but don't be afraid of Him. Here's how that balance happens. The word fear in the Bible has two different contexts. Sometimes the word fear has to do with a phobia. In fact, we get our word phobia from the Greek word for fear. And it's the kind of fear that you and I are used to talking about, you know. It's being scared, afraid, and trembling. That's the kind of fear that God doesn't want us to have. But then there's this, this other type of fear that God talks about in the Bible. That's a fear of reverence, of awe, and respect, that's the kind of fear that we ought to have. So listen, fear God with a reverent fear, but don't be afraid of him because of what Jesus did for us. Does that make sense? Now, now please hear me. I want to say this as lovingly as I possibly can. But if you are not a Christian, then you have not accepted God's free gift of salvation through his son Jesus and listen, you should be afraid of God. I'm just going to shoot straight. You should be afraid of God. Don't listen to me. Listen to God. Luke 12, 4 and 5 says this. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. But listen. Once you accept Jesus as your Savior, that fear is gone. That, that fear is removed. And why is that? Well, look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. The reason is, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Jesus. We're made right with him. But listen, we should still have this reverent fear, this awe, this respect for who God is. You know, that word awe in the dictionary is defined as submissive and admiring fear. Guys, God's goodness and love allows us to come before him without fear and trembling. But listen, I don't think we could stand in his presence without our knees knocking just a little bit. I mean, God, God wants us to identify with him as a loving father. 
But you know what? Even, even as a grown man, when I was around my dad, who I loved and felt comfortable around, I also understood that there were times when I said, yes, sir. God wants us to love him, but also have a respect and honor for him. The last thing we're taught is this. Fear God, but fear nothing else. Fear God, but fear nothing else. Even the corona, fear God, but fear nothing else. God can handle all of our other fears when we fear him. God has unconditional love for me. So, so I don't need to be afraid of being rejected by any man. God never leaves me or forsakes me. So I don't have to fear of being alone. God always provides for me. So I don't have to fear that my needs won't be met. Listen, God holds eternal life in his hands. So I am not afraid of death when that day comes. Oswald Chambers writes this. He said, the most natural thing in the world is to be scared. And the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we don't get into panics. The remarkable thing about fearing God, listen, is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. You know, when the boys were little and disobeyed, they, they always looked at my hand to see if it was going to swat their tailgates or not, okay? They were afraid of my hand. But you know, sometimes when they did something wrong, I didn't swat their tailgates. I would just take my hand and I'd wrap it around their little shoulders and I'd pull them close and let them know I loved them even when they did something wrong. You know, some people have put off making a decision for Jesus because they're afraid of God's hand. But understand this, God's hand is nail pierced. And because of that, he wants to wrap it around your shoulders and pull you close. Today, let me encourage you, you will never know true freedom in your life until you allow him to do that. Until you allow God to do that. So again, can I just ask you as we close, are you tired of hiding today? Are you tired of hiding from God, from other people, from yourself? Let his nail-scarred hand calm your fears today. And just let him wrap his big arms around you and ambush you this morning with his love, his grace, and his forgiveness. Some of you have put this decision off far too long. Today's the day of salvation. There may not be a tomorrow. So we're about to baptize some people in just a moment. And whether you were the one that was planning on getting baptized or not, doesn't matter. All right? If, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, even if you just now made that decision today to follow Jesus with your whole heart, in just a moment, after the video's playing, the band comes up, you just come on up as well, and we'll baptize you too. All right? The first act of obedience after you begin following Jesus, is baptism. That's what the early church did. They believed, and then they were baptized, it said. So you're sitting there today, and you go, man, I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart as well. The first step you take after that is baptism. 
It's just a symbol to show that you've been saved. 1 Peter 3.21 says this, and that water is a picture. It's a symbol of baptism which now saves you, not, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It's effective, why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. So it's not water that saves, it's Jesus. So can I encourage you this morning, if you're sitting there kind of on the edge, don't let Satan trick you. Don't let him put the fear of people in you. What are they going to think if I go? Listen, we have towels, we have dry clothes. You come on up in a minute as the band plays. Today's the day to go public with your decision. Don't let fear stop you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the five people that are going to be baptized here in a moment. But God, I know there's more. I know there's people sitting here today that are just on the edge and they want to follow you with their whole heart, but they're scared. Father, would you just relieve that fear and teach them that following you is more important and just give them the courage to get out of their seats and come on down as well and just be obedient to you. Father, help us to stop trying to please people and start trying to please you. Father, would you just save some people in the room this morning and encourage some others? We love you and we're so thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. Help us to celebrate that in the next few minutes. For it's in his name that we pray.